to start in John. I'm going to share some thoughts that I think it was maybe like four or five years ago I had leaned into and shared a bit when we were talking about emotional health. I think a lot this time of year about what are the sorts of teachings that we want to be reminded of. What are the kinds of things that are, have been built in to some degree into the life of our church, if you've been around that long, that would be really helpful as we prepare most of us for a busy season. As students come back, as everyone starts to lock into a regular rhythm, as we've wrapped up vacations, there's something about September 1 or the Monday after Labor Day that for many of us, not just those of us with kids, feels sort of like the beginning of a new year this room gets tolerable again. <laughs> There's something special about this time. And I think in a moment like ours, where even though it has now been, you know, a good year, it feels like, um, like since the, the, the heat of the pandemic, there's still, I mean, I see it in every news article, in every TV show, in every bit of commentary I read about our culture. It still feels like this sense of like re-engaging and reopening and, it feels um, like there's this, like we're still struggling to figure out how to arrive and recalibrate. And it's almost like the last year we've been trying to figure that out. And I've heard from many who weren't like directly impacted, impacted health-wise by the pandemic are feeling the like, oh, I miss, I miss like having less on my calendar. Anybody? Anybody? <laughs> yeah. I miss like that all FOMO disappeared because nobody was doing anything. <laughs> I miss some of the slowness that my family began to develop. I miss some of that. I'm sure that's not everyone's story, but I've been thinking a lot about slowness. I gave a teaching during the pandemic called The Future is Slow, and I continue to return to that. My wife and I talk a lot about slowness the need to actually catch our breath that we may be people with holy ambition focused in on the things that we're supposed to give our time to. That we're supposed to zero in on the most important practices that we would not be one of those people who lets life pass us by. That we would consider our moments and our days like Moses says, right? Teach me to number my days that I may gain a heart of wisdom. I just downloaded a, a, an app, a new app, um, that reminds me five times a day that I'm going to die. Straight up. I just get a notification that says, Andrew, comma, you're going to die. And then there's like a link if I want to read like some quote about death, but I don't even hardly ever like click on it. So you're like, wow, weird, weird guy. No, like this, is anyone else like this kind of resonates with you? You're like, oh, this just, hey, life is short. Hey, are you spending your time doing the sorts of things that you're supposed to be? It causes you to take inventory, right? Turn with me, if you would, to John 1, verse 35. John is sort of the opening band to Jesus. He's the forerunner. He is helping prepare the Jewish people for the Messiah to come. Get ready. I need you to get your eyes up and eyes open because a lot of people are going to miss him because you think you know what God's like figured out with all these really neat lines, but actually God is going to come maybe in a way that you didn't expect. And we know this to be true. 
The next day, John was there with the two of his disciples, two of John's disciples. Jesus wasn't the only one with disciples. John had disciples. These are apprentices, whole life students. So John's got his two disciples. When he saw Jesus passing by, he said, look, the Lamb of God. When the two disciples heard him say this, they followed Jesus. Look, the Lamb of God, and they followed. So two of John's disciples see Jesus and follow him instead. Jump to John 3, 22. After this, right, so a little later on in the story, Jesus and his disciples went out into the Judean countryside where he spent some, some time with them and baptized now, John also was baptized at Enon near Salem because there was plenty of water and people were coming and being baptized. This was before John was put in prison. This is the end of John's story. An argument developed between some of John's disciples and a certain Jew over the matter of ceremonial washing. They came to John and said to him, Rabbi, that man who was with you on the other side of the Jordan, the one you testified about, look, he's baptizing and everyone's going to him. There with John, and John's a big deal. I don't have time to get into it all today. I have time for nothing this morning. But I will say quickly, like this, we want to pay attention to what's happening with John's disciples. They're like, that guy you told us about, everybody seems to be going to him. That man was with you on the other side of the Jordan, and everyone's going to him. To this, John replied, a person can receive only what is given them from heaven. You yourselves can testify that I said I am not the Messiah. Some of you who know me well know that this is the closest thing I have to like a mantra or like a prayer in my life, a central grounding thing. I am not the Messiah. You say that with me? I am not the Messiah. No, my ego is not so big that I have to be reminded of that. But there's something grounding about I'm not on the throne. I'm not at the center. John was baptizing. Everyone's going to, going to Jesus instead. So first John's disciples abandon him. Then everyone abandons John and goes to him. And you'd think he'd get torn up by this. But instead he says a person can receive only what is given them from heaven. John this rock star of a rabbi here to get people ready for the Messiah is suddenly out of a job. And he's not stressed. He doesn't appear to be burned out by this. He seems to be able to celebrate that Jesus was doing what Jesus was doing and John was doing what John was doing. A quick question. Are we able to celebrate when others are more successful than we are? Right? Because we're all equal, right? We're all equal, except we're not really, right? I'm not talking about an image of God kind of way. I'm going to talk about how we should be all equal in terms of like how we see each other in some grand esoteric way. I just mean like some of y'all are prettier than others of y'all. Sorry. <laughs> like what? And if you're one of those people that are like, no, they're not. You're either so full of yourself and broken or you're so gorgeous it's obnoxious and you need to leave. Right? Some of you are more talented than others. Some of you are a little more dialed in. You're at a particular life stage and you've made certain choices and there's certain ways that you are wired that are in so many ways, right, different. This is image of God. We're all equal versus, you know, talent. And that's a hard truth. 
I did not grow up in the era where everybody gets a trophy. Anyone else? Yeah, yeah. These kids these days with their trophies for everything, right? Anyone feel like that curmudgeon spirit in them? I'm like, this is so silly. Like, no, you get a trophy if you win, if you do a good job. And if you don't, it's a really good lesson. Just a little parenting tip, and I'm not the parenting tip guy. Let your kids lose, fail, and miss it. And help them understand how to do that. Because if you don't do that, you are lying to them. And you will not raise resilient kids. Okay, there's my soapbox. Done. Right? Like, th- this is so important. Like, the world is based on a merit for the most part. Some people are smarter, more athletic, more musical, whatever. Paul says this in Romans 12. We have different gifts according to the grace given to us. Most of us don't have them all. And so we have to be people who don't start with unrealistic expectations about who we are and how we're wired And so as I think about the new year and I think about us preparing our hearts for a season of mission and service and leaning in, right? If you're new with our church, the the month like end of July into most of August is a season where we rest our systems and we slow down as a church in so many ways and we begin to prepare for a next one. We have rhythms throughout our year, and this is one of those restful moments. As we ramp up, it's so important for us to recognize our limits and our limitations. To recognize that we have to be people who guard this, like, warped perception that, like, I don't know, we can be everything all the time to everybody. Instead of feeling gratitude and life and joy for the things that we have and for the season we in we are in, we so often get stuck in entitlement and jealousy or sadness, right? This is like tale as old as time with social media. Some of y'all need to just get off it once and for all. We start with all these unrealistic expectations we have of like who we are and how long it will take us to accomplish X or Y or Z in our career. Then we go ahead and take the 0.001% of people who are really successful at an early age and then we like curate an image of ourselves that's not based on reality at all. And you put that all together and we end up being completely robbed by comparison. Right? Anybody? Anyone feel that? And so I want to just point out, and I want to have time again to get into everything because I actually want to leave some time for just the Holy Spirit to minister to us around this subject. Is to look at John and the, these three things I want to pull from this passage. Three really important things about John. One, he knows his identity. We read that I, he says, I am the voice of one calling in the wilderness. His vision for his life is rooted in Scripture. That's a quote from the passage of Isaiah, for the book of Isaiah. His true, true self. He knows who he is. So often we don't live that out. We spin our wheels trying to be somebody that we are not. We all have the propensity, right, to stray from who God made us to be. This famous quote I love from Rabbi, Rabbi um, Zusa. He says, in the age to come, he's talking about heaven, I will not be asked why I was not Moses. I will be asked why I was not Zuza. 
In the age to come, I will not be asked why I was not Jim or Rose. I will be asked why I wasn't Andrew. I won't be asked why I wasn't more like whoever it is. John, his like clear identity is rooted in scripture. We know as followers of Jesus on the other side of the cross that we are loved and named and known. And some of y'all are like, yes, of course, I know that. But like this is something that only God can impart into your bloodstream. Like above everything else, you are loved by God. I know I say this all the time, but it's like if a bunch of people really were rooted in their identity, walking around in this unrooted, untethered world of constant comparison and uncertainty about who we are and how to think about ourselves, a bunch of people walking around knowing that at the ground of their being, they are loved by the God of the universe and the author of all creation, and that they can join with God in the work that he is doing in the world and join with the great history of like saints and people who've come before and this great tradition of faith, this would do something to us, not just on some esoteric theological level, on like a day-to-day place. We'd be rooted and grounded and able to take stabs at the anxiety that kicks in so often. John knew his identity too. He knew his calling to prepare the way for Yahweh. His job was to get Israel ready for the Messiah. There's this phrase that gets tossed around all the time, like that it's like, like who you are that matters, not what you do. That's not true. What you do with your life should grow out of who you are and actually always does. But we sell ourselves a lie so often that we can detach. Well, this is who I am. This isn't that you're not going to make mistakes and you're not always going to like be at your best. The reality is though, when I look at the margin in my life and I look at what I give my time to and I look at how I treat my wife and my kids and my friends and I look at how I, what I do with my pocketbook, I look at what I value and what I fill my mind with and the shows that I watch, this actually does in every way link directly to who you are. It doesn't matter really what I do. It matters who you are in Christ. Like, no, it, it does And who you are in Christ, I mean, this will begin to transform what you choose to give your time and energy to. Andrew, I'm just being torn in a million directions. I'm so I'm so tired. Okay, cool. That's not the way of Jesus. So what does it look like for you to lean into who you are? And what have you said yes to that you need to say no to? Remember, what we are called to do isn't always what we want to do. And we want to be people whose vocation, like which just means our calling, like our internal and external calling are rooted in the things of Jesus. And lastly, these two things lead to this last piece, which is John knew his limitations. He says a person can receive only what he was given from heaven. I can't do everything. Again, I was raised in that world where it was like, you can do anything you want. I'm like, no, you can't. No, you can't. I can't do everything. There are things that I was made to do. And there are things that I need to acknowledge about my season, my personality, 
right? The place in life that I find myself, my life situations, my physical and intellectual and emotional capacity. These things can change, right? But right now, I'm going to invite you in a moment just to do a little audit. If we are going to be people who are thriving in this cultural moment, we have to be people who are willing to receive the gift of limits. And so we would remember and rehearse day after day, this is who I am in Christ. And when we ask ourselves, what is it about my calling and my vocation? How am I stepping into work this week? How am I stepping into the classroom this week? Be remembering what my macro call is, regardless of my job. Your call is to make disciples and join God in the renewal of all things. You have a calling that supersedes whatever vocational thing you have going on, however settled or unsettled you feel in that. When you take those two things, it should then lead you to this place that it leads John of going, hey, look, I can only do what I'm called to do. And then see those limits, the limits of your season of life as a gift. People who are healthy, people who are rooted in Jesus, understand the limits that God's given them. They're people who are sober-minded and they're ruthless about interrogating their reality. And they can be free to then receive like the one or the two or the ten talents that God has graciously distributed upon them. And as a result, then, they aren't people who are all over the place. And they aren't people who are enslaved to comparison. Right? They, they are living a life that God never intended to them, like them to live. They are people instead who are marked by contentment and marked by joy. Anyone want that in their life? Like contentment and joy. We need to see our limitations as a friend and not an enemy. Because the temptation from the very beginning outlined for us in Genesis is to be like God. Right? To be all-powerful, omnipotent, and to be omniscient. To be like, to know everything. This is our root temptation. We try to be like God and we end up killing ourselves. I'm not saying you consciously think this. I just recognize that the pull is to like everything or nothing. Instead of the ruthless interrogation of reality. Am I rooted in my identity? Do I trust who I am in God? Am I rooted in my calling, Lord, what you have for me? Do I submit the first few moments of my day to the Lord and go, God, would you just like help me make sense of what it is to love and serve and follow your leading amidst all the things and allowing those things to inform the, the limitations that I have. This isn't a call away from ambition. It's actually a call towards it. It's not a call away from the, the hard work and resiliency that it is to be a follower of Jesus to pick up your cross. It's towards it. People who work from rest, right? Not for it. People who are actually like very, very much rooted in their yes and not just reactive, not just as one prophet in my life said over me one time, a good friend, Andrew, you are a quivering pile of availability. Stop. And so let us be people not of balance, trying to balance it all, but people who seek 
first the kingdom of God. One of our prayer leaders had this verse that just came up this morning in our rally before service, before most of y'all came in. And as she read that verse, I thought, yeah, that's it. That's to seek first all that God has, to seek first my identity in him, to seek first my calling, to seek first what the Lord's up to, and then all these things will be added unto me. I'm not looking for balance. At the end of my life, I am not interested in my kids being like, my parents were so crazy busy, but they balanced everything so well. No. I want to hear my kids say, yeah, they had a completely imbalanced view. Like they, like, they, were, they, they took care of us more than anything else. They put their marriage first and foremost. They put their relationship with God. There's a few things they sought first. They weren't like super well balanced. A little bit of Bible, a little bit of Jesus, a little bit of church, and a little bit of sports, and a little bit of fill in the blank. And so, Lord, I want to, like, just Holy Spirit, I thank you even for the gift of, like, not having time to, like, (laughs) lean into my whole teaching today. I just sense you want to speak to the room. Lord, you, um, you know what's happening in the hearts and minds and bodies of the people, Lord, of this family, of my own heart and mind and body, Lord, where I am seeking balance and not seeking first the kingdom, where I am I am a reactive instead of a proactive person. I've, I get this sense there are some people who are like, they feel like they're, like they're watching their life from a distance. <laughs> if that's you right now, just like, <laughs> just acknowledge that. Raise your hand or something. Like, you feel like you're watching your life from a distance. Like, who is that? Like, how am I already 30? How am I already 25? How am I already 45? How am I, like, what? And it's not just time goes fast. It's like, no, no, I'm, I am not rooted and grounded in this particular season. And so, Lord, we, um, we take hold of the example that we see in John I think of Jesus, like his refrain, of like he's always just on his way to Jerusalem, single-minded. As he goes, he's healing and restoring. He's got other things and he gets pulled away, but he is single-minded in the, the pursuit that God's called him to. Lord Jesus, in this absolutely breakneck speed world, we need, God, your like holy slowness to be present to you first and foremost and to be present to those few around us that you call us to love and serve and present to seasons where we do need to lean in hard to a lot of activity and doing that from a place of health instead of unhealth, of clarity of call. I pray on this day, this day that so many folks in this room are taking a Sabbath that you would just like highlight and make clear what needs to be broken off. I want to encourage you for a moment, church. Would you just quiet your soul and be open to the voice of the Spirit? I think the call for us right now in part is to accept who you are 
and thank God for that. And for some of you, it might take a little more faith than someone else. For every person who is proud of who they are, there are some who wish they were more something else or less something else or wish they were in a different season, wish their kids were more like this, or wish their circumstances, their dating life was different. I want to invite you right now simply to thank God for who you are and trust his authorship over your life. That even in the, make of, in the wake of whatever mistakes you feel like you may have made or missteps, that God is faithful to reroute you, to take those failings and turn them into beauty, to grow flowers up through the cracks in the pavement. God, you are the creator. I am the creation. You shaped me, Lord. You called me. And I thank you for all that you have given. And I thank you, Lord, even today for my limitations. Can you pray that today? That I can receive my limits as a gift and allow them to shape what's to come. Psalmist writes, Lord, you alone are my portion and my cup. You make my lot secure. The boundary lines have fallen for me in pleasant places. Surely I have a delightful inheritance. So I will praise the Lord who counsels me. Even at night, my heart instructs me. I keep my eyes always on the Lord. With him at my right hand, I will not be shaken. You're my portion. You're my cup. You make my lot secure. You've set the boundary lives in motion. I'm going to keep my eyes on you because I know that even when I lose it and miss it and misstep, that you, Lord, will strengthen me, guide me, protect me, guard me, shape me, and I will not be shaken. Hallelujah. God is good all the time. Holy Spirit, would you come? Church, I invite you in these last 10 minutes we have together to press in, to continue to listen for God's voice. Even as you, for those that come and take communion, even as you wait in line to take communion, I encourage you to come forward if there's some things you need to lay down or own or name or break off, come to the altar. Let someone just bless you for a moment and pray. You can kneel anywhere up front or sit on the front seat here. The prayer corner's over there, over there. But let's come. Let's remember Christ's body broken and his blood poured out for us, for the healing of the world, for the forgiveness of sins. And let us lean in in prayer and in worship together. So as you feel so led, as you feel so led, stand and come. Holy Spirit, we want you in this place. You are wanted here. Would you move? Would you heal? Would you restore? Come as you feel led. Amen.